0: all right guys Um, so my name is Jason and I'm from Dallas Um, just a couple little things about me most importantly um, I am married I have two beautiful children a six-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son Um, My day job is I work for the Bishop of Dallas. Uh, I direct his office of Youth Young and Campus Ministries for the Diocese of Dallas. So I spend all day uh, working with ministry leaders, whether they work with middle school students or high school students, uh, high school students on our Catholic high school campuses, our college campus ministers, Um, the focus ministers that we now have up there or our young adult ministers um, and work with an incredible team of people that that is our ministry is to serve leaders help them to be missionary leaders Um, but most importantly I'm a son of God and that's why I'm here today especially for this specific talk and then we'll talk a little bit tonight as well uh, during magnify but I want to spend some time here this afternoon talking about the nature of desire The reason that I wanted to know just a little bit, I think it's one thing, uh, you know, to say what your college degree is going to be, what you're studying. um, But it's something else to get at the very nature of desire, the desires of our hearts. And then more importantly, with that, the way in which the desires of our hearts are connected to the desire that the sacred heart of Jesus has for each and every one of us. Uh, And then we're going to connect that to prayer, because at the end of the day, if we're not praying with our desires and bringing those before the Lord, uh, in whatever way we do, whether that's in journaling, whether that's with a morning rosary or doing a holy hour, if we're not bringing those before the Lord, um, our desires will never come into fruition the way that the Lord wants to uh, to work in our lives. So that's the focus of what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to camp out in a couple of places. Uh, We're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 1. We're also going to camp out in John chapter 1. So we'll spend some time in both of those places uh, during this time today. I'm also going to have a couple of moments where we just pause for just some some personal reflection. So I'm going to give you an opportunity just to write a few things down, um, especially when we're talking about desire, which gets at the core of our identity, at the core of our why as human beings. I think it's good to, again, not just hear those things, hear somebody speak about those things, but to actually take an opportunity to reflect on what they mean for us in our lives. So we're going to do that a little bit. But to start, it was December 3rd, 2008, the feast day of St. Francis Xavier. I was back home in my home parish, St. Francis of Assisi Catholic Church in San Antonio, Texas. That's where I spent the first 18 years of my life. I was in the Adoration Chapel that I had spent so many hours in as a teenager. The difference was this time I was now a jobless graduate of Texas A&M University. And as I'm sitting in that chapel, I found myself frustrated. Genuinely frustrated. Uh, some of you heard me say earlier when I was introducing myself to Michaela that uh, I changed uh, degrees three different times while I was here. I started out uh, as a business major, also doing pre med. Then I got to Ochem and said, oh snap, uh, <laughs> got rid of that. Um, switched majors in business to then focus entirely in marketing didn't really feel like that was for me and ended up as an english major and the reason for that being uh, that I, I love to write. I love to do things with words. I think that words are powerful and they can move mountains when used appropriately. And I found myself in all of that uh, going through a program that at the time, I don't know if Texas A&M still offers it, but it was a program called the PPIP program. You're able to go to Washington DC and work for a congressman or work for a lobbying firm or wherever you wanted to work. Ended up working for a congressman thinking, okay, I'm going to use this degree to write speeches for politicians. I was just totally blown away, by the way, at the time uh, with George W. Bush, terrible speaker, and yet his speech writers were able to craft his words in such a way that he became endearing to the American population. And I found that fascinating, that words could make a human being look a certain way. They could move mountains. And so I began to work for this congressman thinking, okay, maybe that's going to be my future. And I figured out very quickly that politics and the Catholic faith don't often mix. We won't go down that road. That's another talk for another time. Um, Yeah, right. We'll have that conversation. Um, But needless to say, I did not want to see more abortion clinics in the Texas 23rd District. And so I decided this is not going to be uh, the place that I was going to spend my life working. And so here I find myself Back in San Antonio, in the Adoration Chapel, and again, I say the the feast day of St. Francis Xavier for a specific reason. I was on my knees, and I was praying the Liturgy of the Hours. And if you've ever prayed the Liturgy of the Hours on the feast day of Francis Xavier, uh, and specifically the morning office, you'll find that Xavier is writing to his mentor, Ignatius of Loyola. St. Francis Xavier was a Jesuit priest and a missionary. He spent a lot of time in India and Southeast Asia. And he's writing to Ignatius of Loyola. And when you read his words, you can almost hear a little bit of um, frustration in his voice. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And then he finally gets to something, I'm going to paraphrase, but just totally and radically change the way that I thought about the desires that God was placing in my heart. He said, if we don't teach them to be Christians, who will do it? I found myself in that moment looking up at the Eucharist and I began to weep. And anyone that knows me knows I'm not a very emotional person. In fact, sometimes my wife tells me that I would do well to have a few more emotions. Um, But I found myself in that moment starting to weep. And I remember looking at the Eucharist and just very clearly saying, okay, if this is what you want, if this is what you're asking of me to go on mission for you, I'll do it. And two weeks later, I had a job in Irving, Texas, as the director of youth ministry at a parish called Holy Family of Nazareth. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea why God was calling me there. But I knew in my heart of hearts, because of the peace that emanated from that prayer, that God was doing something good. And that somehow he was attaching the desire that he had for me with the desires that were in me to be on mission, to use words effectively, to move mountains. What I didn't realize at the time and would come to realize over time was that the mountains God was calling me to move were not in Washington DC, but were in the hearts of teens and Irving. And I began to lean into that. The way that I wanna start this afternoon, my friends, is just very simply to say that knowing your why Is really a question of identity knowing your why is really a question of identity and our why can be found by employing a really simple equation and I want to give that up front and then we're gonna break it down piece by piece because this equation is ultimately the prayer that I want us to have in our hearts as we leave here today that desire plus prayer equals peace very simple Desire plus prayer equals peace. Now to get into this and to begin with this portion on desire, I think we have to be willing to note the sort of elephant in the room, or maybe for some of you, the elephant in your own heart, right? Does your life match what you say are the desires of your heart? Does your life match what you say are the desires of your heart? And the reason that I ask that question is, again, I think often we find ourselves uh, sitting and being steeped in, having exerted upon us a significant amount of pressure to define ourselves, right, through, again, our degrees, or what we say we want to do with those degrees, or maybe even what somebody else has said we should do with those degrees. I'll never forget the first time I told my mom, hey mom, I'm gonna use this English degree to be a youth minister. And she said, you're gonna do what? I said, I'm gonna be a youth minister. She said, no, you're not. I said, why am I not? She said, cause I didn't pay for you to go to Texas A&M to become a youth minister. Oftentimes we can feel a certain amount of pressure from those around us. Whether it's grades, whether it's our appearances, and that begins to define our self-image, right? And again, I, I, I'm going I'm to steer clear. There's a lot of self-image is kind of a very big word, right? And there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. For today, I want to focus, when I say self-image, what I'm talking about is the way that you reflect on your why. Why do you exist? God created you in space and time for a reason and a purpose, and while the way that you're going to achieve that purpose includes your attendance at Texas A&M and your presence here as a student at St. Mary's and again, the degree that you've chosen and the things that you have inside of you that you want to do and you want to accomplish, those ultimately are nothing more than a, a, a means to a much greater end. And that end is the salvation of your own heart, your own soul. Right, uh, uh, my, one of my favorite passages Uh, The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10. Jesus has just gotten done sending out all of the disciples. And he sends them out in power and he tells them to move mountains. And to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And they are pumped. And they come back. They're like, Jesus, would you believe what we've just done? Demons are subject to your name. We're healing people. And again, I'm going to paraphrase scripture, but he says this. He says, care less that the the demons are subject to my name through you, but care more that your name is written in heaven. At the end of the day, the desires in our hearts are ultimately what are supposed to lead us to heaven. You guys familiar with Simon Sinek? Does that name or author ring a bell? Some of you may know. Simon Sinek uh, is... uh, I think one of the most brilliant human beings today. I think he took a very simple concept and popularized it helped to change a lot of people's lives, but he wrote a book called know your why. Um, and Simon Sinek has a very simple, again, kind of simple equation. Um, if I had something up here, I would draw it, but at the very center, he draws three rings kind of like a target, right? And in the very center he is why. And then on the next ring, he has the word how, and then the next ring after that, he has the word what, and what he talks about is that for many of us, we spend a lot of time in the what, right? Um, I want to make lots of money. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to get a really good uh, college degree, and then I'm going to go for the graduate degree, and then maybe I'll even get a doctorate in something. Um, or I'm going to do this specific job because this is the, the, the tag, the, the salary tag that's going to come with it, right? Um, or, you know, the, the how. I'm going to be influencing with these specific people and use these people to move in my network, whatever it might be. But what he talks about is how most people don't, again, go back to the why of why do they want to do what they want to do. And as again, as Catholics, that why has actually already been written for us. Amen. Right. When you and I were baptized and chrism oil was poured on our head, we all received the same universal why. We were anointed priest, prophet, and king. By the nature of our baptism, everything that we do in our lives is and should be connected to the call to know Jesus and share Jesus with others. Amen? So how, again, do our desires mesh with that? And when we say that we love Jesus, are the desires of our hearts leading toward that ultimate goal. And I think it's important to take a moment to reflect on this, because if we're allowing our desire to be steeped in or potentially even governed by something other than Jesus and the movement of his Sacred Heart for us, we can never be fully satisfied. What happens to our identity when we experience failure in that case? Or lose someone's favor? Or when I'm talking to teenagers, uh, for example, sophomores in high school, I'll ask them, what is going to happen if you don't get 50 likes and you only get 10 likes? Right? What happens if you don't get the grade? Or you don't get the job after the degree? when we place our desires, our human desires, above the desires that Jesus has for us, we have a tendency to see our very found, the very foundation of our identity shaken and altered. And it can result in us hustling, right, to define ourselves, again, based on what someone or something else has in store for us. Where is your desire? I want you to pause for just a second and to reflect on that. At a very human level, because I also think it's good, right? One of my best friends is a Roman Catholic priest in Dallas. His name's Father Edwin Leonard. And Father Edwin, um, he always says something that just every time he says, it's like I've heard him say it a hundred times, but it always rocks my world. He says, if you want a Ferrari, pray for a Ferrari. Like it's okay to tell God those things, right? If you want a bunch of money or if you want 25 kids, pray for that, that's, that's great. God already knows the things that you want. He already knows what your desires are. Just be honest with him, have a face-to-face conversation and let him know it's what you want. But then pray with it. Because again, desire plus prayer equals peace. What are the desires of your heart right now today? And what are the desires that you have in your heart for the future? I want you to write those down, take just a couple of minutes and then I have another question for you. What are the desires of your heart today? And what are the desires that you have for your future? after you've written those down, and for some of you, you may may just spend some time reflecting on this next question. Maybe there's things you want to write down. It's up to you. But is there anything that you sense God might be inviting you to desire more of that's connected to his desire for you? Is there anything that God might be inviting you to desire more of? that's connected to his desire for you. Write that down. All right. So take a look at those things that you wrote down. Do the desires of your heart match the desires that God has for your life? And that can be summed up, I wanna move now into prayer, right? Desire plus prayer equals Peace. I want to spend some time reflecting on prayer. And to do that, the first question that has to be asked, right, it's a very basic question, right? You would hear this in any charismatic proclamation. If you were a new believer, somebody would eventually ask you this probably within, uh, you know, the first year of getting to know who Jesus was, right? Is Jesus the king of your heart? Are you ready to make a commitment to claim, his, claim him as king, to allow him ownership over every element of your life? every decision that you make, every relationship you engage in. Is he the king of your heart, of your life? And the simple truth of the matter is that I think, I mean, again, you and I, we have a lot of messages, external messages of what should and can claim ownership over our lives, right? I look at um, I hate, I love and I have a hate love relationship with my iPhone, right? It started telling me how much time I spend looking at it. Um, That really angers me because I feel like I'm a pretty disciplined person. And then I get that message every week. Um, I know where some of the areas in my life are where there is ownership, right? And yet God still says and invites, even in those things, and even in things that are good, right? You guys are probably owned by books right now. Um, My understanding is I think midterms have started or are starting, right? Um, I can only imagine, uh, having been there, right, the amount of studying, obviously, that goes into that. There's goodness in some of that type of ownership. And yet God still invites us in both the good things and the things that we could choose to let go of to say, hey, I want to be the king of all that chaos, let me into that mess. Let me make it new. Let me refresh it. Continue to give it to me because peace is found there. But in order to do that and to claim Jesus truly, to give him total and complete ownership over everything, is to remember our identity in him. To remember that you and I have a status as men and women that are beloved by the Father. And to wake up every day steeped in that. And I I, I say that, right? Like, again, I don't say that in any kind of a trite way. I want to be really clear, right? Like, I don't mean this in like a cutesy little VBS kind of way. Hey, you're a son and daughter of the King. I do actually think that that's beautiful. And I think that as a Christian people, if we genuinely woke up every single day praying into the extraordinary love that the Father has for us—it could radically, again, shape the way that we thought about ourselves, and then ultimately our desires in the way that God wants to use us for goodness in the world today, right? So I want to—I want to just go through a little exercise of that for a second, of being grounded in that identity. If you'll turn, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to start with verses three through six. Excuse me, three through eight. Three through eight. Side note, I'm using, uh, I don't know what translation you guys are using, I'm using an RSV Catholic edition, so my words may be a little bit off. This is my favorite edition, amen. Um, So my words may be a little bit different than yours. But again, if you don't have a Bible, no worries, I'm going to read it. I do want to invite you to write this down and to pray with it later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now, those are highfalutin words, right? St. Paul, extremely educated man, Um, always writes in these beautiful prose. I don't think that there's a letter that's not well written from Paul. So I'm going to give you Jason language of what he just says. Because again, I, and this is Jason's prayer, this may not be what you heard when you heard this, um, this is what I hear and this is what I like to pray with because at any time in my life where I feel like my desires are straying for the, from the desires of God, for me, I always go back to that very thing. That Galatians chapter 4 says that I'm no longer a slave but free and more than simply being free, right? As if freedom wasn't enough, that God actually calls me an adopted son and there's a power to that. There's a power to being an adopted son. Side note, do you know why St. Paul uses that reference so often in the New Testament? To be adopted? Because by Roman law, to be adopted was to have more rights than, your own, than, as, if you were a, than as if you were born to those parents. That, there's a better way to say that. Sorry, my English just got really bad there. Uh, but if you were adopted, your parents could not disown you. By Roman law. If you were adopted, your parents couldn't disown you. If you were, if you're, if you're natural born from your parents, your parents could say, ah, eh, I'm not giving you any of my inheritance. You're done. I, I don't claim you as my own. But if you're a parent and you consciously made a choice to adopt someone, they became your blood, your very flesh and blood. And there was no way of going back. The equivalent of, in our Catholic tradition, an indelible mark. Once it's there, it can never be removed. And so when St. Paul uses that language of adoption, what he's saying is that God has paid a price that can never be revoked. He not only calls you adopted son or daughter, but he calls you an heir to his very throne. And so when we hear these words of adoption, when we hear these words of being having lavished uh, grace, lavished upon us, this is what Jason hears. I'm going to read it just because... I don't want to muck up the words that I've written down. This is what I hear. Tell me if this resonates with you. That you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That we have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished in grace, and unconditionally loved and accepted. That we are blameless and forgiven. That we have received the hope of spending eternity with God. And that when we are in Christ, these aspects of our identity can never be altered by what we do. I'm going to repeat that again. That when we are in Christ, when we have a life in Christ, steeped in, rooted in prayer, these aspects of our identity can never be altered by what we do. That even in our brokenness, our sinfulness, God looks upon us and calls us beloved. Our identity is concretized. So how do we get there? And that's the way I want to I spend a, a few more minutes and then I'm going to offer you another moment of reflection. And then I'm going to close out. And if you have any questions, um, we can do that. But I'm going to have us close uh, before we close our time today in a specific uh, time of prayer. But the prayer part, of prayer part, of course, is the most important, right? Because as I said, desire plus prayer equals peace. So where is that peace found? Peace is found when our desires meet our prayers and we claim ownership over our why with confidence. Okay, that's a lot of words. What does that mean? It's very simple. Again, are you taking the desires that you have in your heart? Are you taking the desires that maybe, maybe you don't know why, but you go spend a holy hour in front of the blessed sacrament and you know Jesus is saying something to you, even if you don't like it. I didn't want to be a minister, I'll tell you that. I worked at St. Thomas Aquinas here in College Station um, my senior year here at A&M, and, um, and I was pretty confident at the end of that. God, I, ministry's awesome, I will, I will always be a volunteer. But I don't want to do this for a living. I literally said that to God. And I've spent the last 12 years of my life as a ministry leader. (laughs) Are you regularly inviting God into that? Because again, regardless of what the outcome is, see, that's the nature of desire, is that you and I have to be willing to let go of the outcome. Right? And that's the kicker, that the desire is good and fine. Again, if you want a Lamborghini, pray for a Lamborghini. God's not a genie, right? You can't rub the magic lamp and hope it pops out, but it's okay to pray with it. What you and I have to let go of, and this is where the prayer comes in, is the outcome. And when we can remove ourselves from the outcome and say, Jesus, you're the king of my heart. You have ownership over my life. I give it all to you. Peace is found. And what does that peace look like? To do that, we're going to go to John chapter one. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture, the very beginning. I love the opening moments in in the gospels, the opening moments of the gospels, especially where Jesus is like calling people to come and follow him, because I think that had to be super weird and creepy, right? You're doing your job and this random dude pulls up and says, hey, leave everything behind and follow me, right? Um, I'm just fascinated by that like I'm really I I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that moment go back in time and just see what captivated these young men to follow this super random dude right leave everything behind and follow this dude I'm I'm fascinated by that and this happens to be one of those stories comes from the gospel according to John chapter 1 and starts at verse 35 we're going to read 35 through 42 says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So let me set this up for two seconds. These disciples are not even Jesus's, right? These two guys that we're going to hear about are hanging out with John the Baptist. They've been following him for a period of time, okay? The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. There is so much spiritually here. So again, I want to encourage you. Uh, If you're not familiar with this passage, if you've never prayed with this passage during a holy hour uh, or whatever your time of prayer is, your daily time of prayer, I just want to encourage you to pray with this and allow the Lord to speak to you because there's so much here. We're going to unpack this for a minute because, again, desire plus prayer equals peace. And I think the scripture is very, very clear for you and I about what peace looks like. So, again, breaking this down, these two guys have been following John. They've actually found their peace. In John the Baptist, as if that wasn't weird enough, at, to some degree, right? They've been following John the Baptist, and all John has to do is point and say, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Again, another one of those moments, right? These people have probably never heard that phrase, "Lamb of God," uh, or if they ha- they heard they've heard it before, it's conjuring up this image of a sacrificial lamb, right? So. They're they're literally, he's pointing to something. He's giving us a foreshadowing that this is the man who's to be sacrificed. Go and follow him. That can only mean death. And what do they do? They leave the guy they've been following to go follow after Jesus. They find something there, they're attracted to something. Jesus turns and he just asks him, What are you seeking? Right. And again, in the same way that for you and I, when we lay our desires before him, that's what he asks. What are you seeking? It's always his response. Right. He wants you to make the first move. He wants you to be very clear in vulnerability, not holding anything back, not thinking it's weird because, again, he already knows it. He's ready and willing for you to make that move. To just say it to him, because there's power when we speak it, when we verbalize it, when it leaves our inner self and it becomes externalized. And he invites them into it. What is it? What do you seek? Such simple words and yet so much power. And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, if we were to read this text in Koine Greek, which is the language that it was written in originally, where are you staying does not mean where do you physically live. The Greek actually points to the eschatological reality, the heavenly reality, to a time or to a a space outside of time. So when John is writing this, what they're saying is we want to not just be where you are physically in time. We want to be where you abide. We want to be, we want to experience the fullness of who you are to encounter that. Because what they're seeing, the reason they're choosing to follow him is because he is exuding peace. He's willing, just his very presence, to ask them that question. What are you seeking? What do you seek They can feel a peace stirring inside of them. Where are you staying? A life rooted in Christ is saved, and a why, a desire rooted in Christ, is satisfied. When everything that we want, both temporally, right, here, now, in space and time, a degree a good job, a family, or a vocation to the priesthood or religious life. You know, whatever God is inviting us into save lives as a doctor or to fight for justice as a lawyer or to sell cars or to be a ministry leader. Who cares? Because at the end of the day, all of those things are good. And peace is derived when they're rooted and steeped entirely in Jesus. Desire plus prayer equals peace. So here's my question for you. What do you need to give God in prayer today that you haven't done yet? What do you need to give Jesus in prayer today that you have not done yet? And then my second question is this. My assumption is, again, because we all have desires, so to have a desire by definition is to not have something yet fully realized or satisfied, right? You haven't experienced the fullness of it yet. What do you need to tell Jesus that you need to have satisfied? I want you to be really honest and vulnerable in that. What do you need to tell Jesus one-on-one, right? I'm not asking you to share this with anybody. What do you need to tell Jesus one-on-one that you need to have him satisfy? And if you don't know the answer to that, that's okay. That's a really big question, and I get it, right? Like a massive question. Um, But I want you to really spend some time with that. And maybe maybe some of you, maybe it's okay if there's not like a big thing that pops into into your head. It's totally okay. But maybe even if you're at Magnify tonight or another time you have an opportunity for a holy hour, just a longer moment of prayer, really pray with that. What do you need Jesus to satisfy? What would help your cup to overflow just a little bit more? I want you to write that down or speak that to him. Take just a few moments now and let's reflect on that. one more question this is a big one too i apologize for all the big questions today it's four forty-five on a thursday but i think this is a good one and i think um, especially especially as college students um, to really invest ourselves in because the future will be upon each of you before you know it that's again that sounds so trite i can't believe i just said that um You know what I mean. But what is your mission statement? What is your mission statement? And how do you think God wants to use that to advance the kingdom? What is your mission statement? And how do you think God wants to use that to advance the kingdom? And it doesn't have to be big language, right? Just you, who you are. God wants to move the biggest mountains through you. Take a second and write that down. What is your mission statement? And then we'll close. Take a couple minutes for questions if you have them. And we'll pray. All right, gang. A book I want to encourage you guys to read, if you if you have the time to read a short book, right? Short spiritual book. Um, one of my kind of favorite um, spiritual thinkers, spiritual authors, um, a priest who's still alive, Father Jacques Philippe, if you've not read any of Father Jacques Philippe's work. Okay, some of you are laughing, so clearly you know who I'm talking about. Um, Father Jacques, I'm super jealous because, again, my buddy Father Edwin uh, was just on a one-on-one Zoom call with him the other day, and I was like, really? Really? And you didn't invite me? Um, had a translator and everything because, you know, Father Jacques speaks French. So cool. Um, he has a book called Interior Freedom. If you had not had a chance to read Interior Freedom, I want to encourage you to pick that book up and to just spend some time with it um, because Father Jacques talks about how at some point we're confronted with a choice to make, change our why or change our plans and the why has been written for us that you and I are daughters and sons of a king who loves us tremendously who invites us into his very real presence through the sacramental church and then sends us out to change the world it's that simple and we're gonna do it in a variety of capacities for Jason Deuterman, it starts every day when he wakes up turns and says good morning to his wife spends time with his children goes about his daily business, and closes out the day with prayer with his family. That's the first place that I change the world. God does that through the way that I serve the Roman Catholic Church in the Diocese of Dallas. And he's going to do it with you too, whether it's fighting fires or it's writing the next great American novel. Whatever it is, God is going to use that and he's going to move mountains in people's hearts and lives because of you. You've been anointed for this moment But will you lean into those desires now? Will you give them to Jesus? Will you allow him to bring peace with them when you pray with them? And allow him to offer you the satisfaction as he works through you in the most magnificent of ways. So my friends, with that, I want to pause. And if you have questions or you just want to talk about something and you're like, wow, that didn't make sense. Tell me more. Um, I'm happy to hear all of those things. If not, we'll, we'll close in prayer. Um, but I want to pause for saying any questions, thoughts, things you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, that is a great question. And again, it goes back to the nature of peace. When it is your desire and the Lord has placed it there specifically for you, there's always going to be peace. I don't care what uh, spiritual direction book you read or discernment kind of book that you read, it all comes down to that moment of peace, right? And it's it's a gut feeling, it's a gut reaction, but it's something that's solidified, that's concretized through the sacraments of the church, right, spending time going to mass, spending time in adoration, spending time in prayer. Um, and recognizing also that it's a journey and it takes time, right? So this isn't something that just happens overnight. Um, maybe for some of you, it certainly didn't happen for me. Um, it was a bit more stubborn, I guess. Uh, but a willingness to day after day and to, be, um, to have a certain discipline and rigor to prayer, and over time, again, regularly bringing those before the Lord, he begins to sift those out for you. Um, and so again, right, God's making, God's allowing you to make the first move by coming to him, but the best part is he does all of the work. He does the sifting for us. So again, just leaning into the peace that you get over time in that prayer is where those desires are fully realized as your own. That makes sense? I love that though. Because I was told I needed to make a lot of money. I needed to go and do this, that, or the other. And Because I was raised a certain way. And being a ministry person, you can't, you can't raise your kids that way. That's not fair. That's what I was told. So it can be hard. And trust me, I know that. Especially when you have other externalizing pressures that are on you. Other questions? Thoughts? Comments? Things you'd add to it? You guys are, I'm sure, smarter than I am. So please, by all means, if there's something you're like, man, I would add this there. This would be really cool. Anything? Sometimes yeah. I like struggle with the fear that God, like the things I want, God doesn't want them for me. Hmm. So how do you like work through that in prayer, like being honest with this about like your fears like of what he like, desires for you? That is a phenomenal question. Um, the first question I would ask you is, um, are you going to spiritual direction at all about those things? So do you have somebody specifically who is, uh, Do we offer spiritual direction at St. Mary's? Awesome. Um, Do you have somebody that you're sharing those with and who's working through you with them and trying to help you unpack where the movement of the Spirit is? Because the other thing, we haven't talked about this. I'll actually talk a little bit tonight during Magnify about the way that the the devil twists the words that the Lord. we might think the Lord is laying on us. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, But the devil is very good at Helping us or having us think that the desires that we have are what God wants, or maybe the desires that God wants for us are not what He actually wants. Um, And so I think being able to speak with somebody else about that, um, being able to have a spiritual director that you're regularly processing with that, processing that with, um, and who's regularly looking at your prayer. Uh, One of the things that I find is, you know. I write a lot of things down, I journal a lot, and I'll go back and read them, but it can mean something entirely different to another set of eyes, right? To someone else who's really prayed up. Um, So that would be my first word of encouragement. But I would also come back to, again, there's a reason in, um, and I don't mean to just keep going back to that element of peace, um, but I do really, again, I wanna, if you don't leave with anything else today, leave with that equation, that desire plus prayer equals peace. I really can't stress that enough. If it is of God, it always comes with peace. It is always with peace. And if there's not peace there, one of two things is taking place. Either it's not of God or it hasn't been fully discerned yet. And both are great. Both are fine because ultimately both bring subsequent peace. Right? So if it's of God, there's always going to be peace there. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. You keep talking about how it always comes back to peace. Mm hmm Amen. Um, so again, I think um, the first, I just can't stress it enough, especially for those of you who are juniors and seniors and you're in a space now where you're actually discerning future in a more realistic kind of sense, having a spiritual director or or someone else who, who again is, is trained, uh, a campus ministry leader, right? Like hopefully you're doing those things. Um, spending time with individuals who this is part of their life's work. So for example, when I'm in Dallas, this is what I do with ministry leaders on it. I help people discern into ministry, I also help people discern out of ministry. And again, one of the reasons I'm able to do that is because I'm not emotionally connected to those desires the way that they are. So right, so if you and I were to sit down, I can hear what you say to me and I'm not I don't have all of those feelings roiling around inside of me the way that you do, right? I can also call out hey, it seems like you're a little bit more emotional about this thing. Tell me more about that. Why Why are you uh, Why are you saying this thing or doing this thing? So I think that's the first thing. Make sure, if you don't have a spiritual director, make sure that you're doing that. Um, but again, the time element, I think, is also really, really important. Emotions are fleeting, desires are not. And I think that's a really important point to remember is that, again, there's a... Um, I just listened to a TED... Do you guys like TED Talks? I love TED Talks. I'll sit there and listen to them on Saturday mornings all the time. Um, but I just listened to one on um on sleep the power of sleep that's kind of like my thing right now is trying to be more disciplined in that um and this this speaker was talking about that element of uh it's not just a turn of phrase go sleep on it right um, but he talks about that because of the way that you know scientifically right our bodies reset every day the more time that you can place between your emotional response to a desire and the thing itself the more time you can place between them the more you'll be able to discern the peace of the Lord in it, right? So allow there to be space and time. And again, emotions are fleeting, desires are not. If it's of the Lord, and that's the thing I probably should have said to you earlier as well. Forgive me, I'm forgetting your name. I'm Julia. Julia. Um, I should have said earlier, Julia, again, is um, that if, if it's of the Lord, it's going to continue over time. That desire is not going to leave because, again, it's not fleeting. Yeah. continue to pray into them, be willing to try them out. Um, Again, right, like, let's not over-spiritualize this, right? Um, There is something to be said about, again, the work of our hands, the things that we do in this temporal time and space. Um, If you have a passion for something, try it out, but make sure that when you try it out, you're also praying with it, right? Um, For me, again, like I shared earlier, for me, it was, I I had to go to DC and see if being a speechwriter was maybe what I was supposed to do, and I figured out why it wasn't. Um, I've figured out kind of where my calling is. Um, I'm also somebody who, you know, now in my own space and time, I need to continue to discern is, does God want me continuing to work in the church in this capacity? Or is there something something else he wants me to do in the future? A willingness to try those things out. But then again, as we're trying them out to say, okay, God, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to set a specific amount of time that I'm going to do it. And I'm giving it all to you. I'm asking you to work into this, right? To work with this. Um, I am 100% confident that God does that every single time. And again, one of two things happens. Either there's no peace there and we need to continue to do it longer, again, trying those things out, or there is peace there that this isn't the thing that we're supposed to do. Um, I believe that God is always clear. It's us who have the muddled minds and that's why we have to be willing to spend that time in discernment. Um, But God's not a liar, he'll make it, he makes it apparent. Does that help? that and like trying it out, you can say like practical discernment, like a lot of people over-spiritualize discernment and say that it's like you sitting with Jesus every day, which it is, but it's also you saying, okay, this is scary to me, but I'm going to try it because I know that's where the Lord may be the peace. Amen. like reconciling, actually doing things with what discernment actually is, is like a really important thing. Yep. Amen. anything else gang cool what I want to do to close us in prayer if that's okay because I realize we are at 502 so I want to be aware of everyone's time I just want to close us briefly Um, I'm gonna start in prayer but then I'm gonna leave space for you to just close out just to have a conversation with Jesus for a minute Um, again I don't know what your prayer time and your prayer space looks like Um, I sucked at praying in college Um, I probably spent time in prayer once a week. I should have done it more, uh, especially because at the time I was volunteering for high school ministry at Thomas Aquinas, um, so I should have been praying more. So we're going to take some time to pray. I want to let you actually talk to Jesus rather than me talk to Jesus for you, okay? I'll let you know when it's your time to to say something, okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, praise you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, your goodness abounds in this place. Lord, you've called each and every one of us here today with a specific reason, with an intention. God, you are moving in each and every one of us so powerfully and Lord, today we just invite you in a new way whether that's for the first time or a renewed time uh, just to echo it again maybe we already said it this morning but God we just invite you Jesus to stake a claim on our hearts on our lives to plant your flag of victory Lord a victory won by the cross a victory confirmed in your resurrection a newness of life that you will invite us to one day Lord, we hand over all of the desires of our hearts. We hand them over to you. Jesus, I pray for each and every one of us here today, especially maybe for those things that we're not ready to hand over. If there's anything that we're holding on to or we're not sure is worthy of you, God, we know Scripture tells us, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that you have lavished grace upon us, that you call us beloved, We know from Genesis chapter 2 that we are wonderfully made in your own image. We know from your prophet Jeremiah that you know the plans that you have for us and that they're good. And So Jesus, we hand it all over to you, trusting that you will do good things with them for us and through us. And Lord, we pray for peace that our desires as we hand them to you in prayer would ultimately lead back to the peace that flows only from your sacred heart. And so friends, I want to invite you now to again, you, you wrote down your desires earlier. I want to invite you to just say those to Jesus now to invite him to have ownership over them, and to invite him to bring peace into your life in those areas specifically that you need him to satisfy. And then when you're ready, I'll just invite you silently to entrust all of that to our Blessed Mother. I'm a firm believer that when we hand it over to Mary, she always gets it worked out. And so entrust them to her immaculate heart, that in doing so, the sacred heart of her son Jesus would be revealed to us. Pray to Jesus with your desires, the areas that you desire to be satisfied by him, and then entrust it to Mary.